And so let us hear God's word from Romans 1, beginning in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, as your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, as we uh, begin today, we unfortunately are living increasingly in a culture that emphasizes our differences. Now, historically, as Americans, we've had all kinds of differences. People that have immigrated from various places around the world, and yes, initially it was mostly from Europe, but even from other places, and and so on. In our um, one of our main mottos is "E pluribus unum." Out of the many, one. And so we, we, the idea is that people would come here and we wouldn't focus on our differences, but on what unites us as Americans. But in the last um, um, maybe 20 years or something especially, we've been focusing more and more on our differences. And so we're not Americans, we're African Americans, or Asian Americans, or Indian Americans, or something like that. And okay, all right, we have these different ethnicities and so forth. But there's this emphasis on our differences rather than on what unites us. As we come to this part of chapter 1, Paul basically says, I don't care what our differences are. I'm going to preach the gospel to all of you. And so as I said when we started the book of Romans, this book is going to be so helpful for us living in a culture of division because Paul is seeking to unite us around the truths of the scriptures. So with this in mind, um, last time we started this and looked at verses 8 to 12 and uh, Paul moves from his opening greeting now to his characteristic thanksgiving and prayer. And Paul thanks God for how he has established and grown the churches in Rome and he emphasizes how he regularly prays for them and also how he regularly prays that he can come to see them. And so through this, as we talked briefly last time, Paul is encouraging us to improve our prayers, to grow in our prayer lives, we might say, and then to love fellow believers more deeply, even to those we don't know, not, not personally. Well, then we saw in verses 11 and 12, Paul eagerly anticipating coming and being used by God to bless the believers in Rome. 
And yet Paul's humble about this. It's not just, hey, look what I can do for you, but he's wanting to receive a blessing from them too. And so let us then be used by God to bless others. God has given each one of us various gifts and talents and abilities. Use those to honor God. Don't bury them. And use those to bless other people. Um, But let us also seek to be blessed by the gifts and talents and abilities God has given to other people. Don't be like some of those who always give, who always serve, who are always doing these things but don't want to receive from anybody else whether they're too proud or don't want to be beholden or whatever it is. And on the other hand, let's not be those who always are receiving and never giving because we're too selfish or lazy or whatever the reason is. God says, let's do both here. God has blessed all of his people, so let's mutually bless one another. Now, Paul transitions from this thought now as he's making his way to his main point, which is verses 16 and 17. So in this transition, we see then verse 13. Again, it reads, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you, just as among the other Gentiles. All right, now the first part of this verse is very much like verses 10 to 12. Where he starts, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, often plan to come to you as hindered. That's very similar, especially to verse 10, where he said, making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. But um, Paul's not just repeating himself. Notice how he words it here, I do not want you to be unaware. And it sounds like maybe some people were unaware. And it suggests to us that maybe some of them were wondering why had the apostle to the Gentiles not yet come to Rome? Okay, it's roughly 25 to 27 years since Pentecost, so why has he not yet come? And some may have been offended or upset or even critical of Paul. We don't know for sure. But he repeats himself to make it clear. But notice he adds the idea that he planned to come. In verse 10, he's praying about it. Now here in verse 13, he's saying, I actually plan to do this. And this word is indicating for us that it's not just some vague plan. Yeah, I, I plan someday to go to Rome. But it, it sounds like he actually worked out some details. Now maybe he talked with the local captain of a ship and what the schedule was to go to Rome. Maybe he had talked to some people about going up and around through northern Italy and down to Rome. It, it sounds like something like that had taken place. But he's been hindered. His plans have been thwarted. Possibly it had to do with uh, winter travel. Maybe he went and talked to the captain and he said, hey, you know, we can't go now. Winter has set in early or something to that effect. Uh, Maybe it's because of the troubles taking place in Corinth. Remember, that's where he was when he writes the letter. Um, But let's turn to chapter 15 here a moment. And this seems to be the main reason. Because Paul says very similar things here at the end of the letter. And so in Romans 15, uh, picking up just briefly in verse 19, let me uh, call your attention here about the signs and wonders, the Spirit of God. And so Paul has been used by the Spirit from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum to preach the gospel. He's not wanting to build on another man's foundation, verse 20. And let me pick up then in verse 22. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. So note the same language here. 
But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. All right, now, do you hear some of the same language that Paul uses in these verses as we see in chapter 1? This seems to be the main hindrance, if you will, and that is he needs to go to Jerusalem and bring this uh, gift to those who are suffering from the famine and, and so forth in that area. And so uh, Paul's like, I, I want to come, but I can't yet. My work in this area is done, but I can't come yet. I have to do this first. And so in the end, God had not yet willed for Paul to go to Rome. And Paul here is submitting to God's plan for him. And so again, like we talked about briefly last time, in the end, God is in charge and he knows what is best. And so don't insist on your plans. Some of us really like to plan. Some of us are a bit obsessive about our plans. Some of us maybe not so much. But as we plan, and we should plan, recognize that we should do it with open hands. God ultimately is in control. He is ultimately in charge, and he knows what is best. And at this point, it's not best for Paul to go to Rome, but to go to Jerusalem and even be imprisoned and even be killed almost a few different times. This was part of God's plan. All right, return to that thought here in just a moment. Um, Note the word that he uses in the middle here back in chapter 1. Note he uses the word brethren. Or brothers. Um, This is the first time Paul uses this word in the letter, but it's a word he uses very frequently. In fact, he uses it 19 times here in Romans. Most of them are at the end, but here's the first one. So again, even in his words here, do you see his affection? Do you see how much he cares, again, for these people he had not yet met? All right, now the next part of the verse says that I might have some fruit among you also. All right, now we saw last time in verse 11 about the spiritual gift. Paul wants to come and bring some spiritual gift, and now he talks about a spiritual harvest, a fruit among them. Note again, he uses the word some. He doesn't know exactly how God is going to use him, but he knows God will. God has set Paul apart for this purpose. And so he expects there will be conversions when he comes. He expects there will be growth in discipleship. But he doesn't know exactly how or how much or in what way and how long and some of those things. And so notice then, Paul resorts to a letter. What we know is the book of Romans. Now, you might remember when I started our study of Romans, I said that this book is considered by many to be the most significant letter ever written. 
Now, it's hard to say that when you have the rest of the scriptures. (laughs) And there have been some very significant letters written in the course of history, even outside of the scriptures. But you can understand why some people say the book of Romans is so significant. Thousands, if not tens of thousands of commentaries and studies have been done on this book alone over the centuries. It's been hugely important in the history of the church, you think especially for Luther and the Reformation. There has brought uh, countless fruit in the lives of even you and me. I know my study of Romans was such a benefit when I did it uh, years ago when I was in seminary, actually. Um, And I'm sure many of you can say the same thing. But think about this. Paul said, or excuse me, God said to Paul, you can't go to Rome yet. But this desire to go to Rome, and God said not yet, prompted Paul to write the letter. Now, if Paul would have gone to Rome, we might not have the book of Romans. This is an amazing gift when God told Paul, no. Okay. What a gift we have been given here by God. If he had gone to Rome as he planned, again, as we saw here at the beginning of the verse, if whatever it was, you know, the, the winter didn't come early or whatever it was that hindered him in that way, and if there wasn't a famine in Jerusalem in that area, Paul probably would have been to Rome and we would not necessarily have this letter. Uh, Western history would have been very different, most likely. But in God's providence, this is what happened. And so I return to this theme, as I talked about last time and just a few moments ago. God's ways are always best. They may be confusing. I don't want to minimize the struggle of God's providence. Sometimes it's incredibly hard for us to wrap our minds around what in the world God is doing in my life or someone that we care about. It can lead to lots of uncertainty. It can leave us very unsure of of what to do. And does God even care about me? I don't want to minimize those things. But the truth is, simply, God is in control. He is in charge. He knows what is best. Our plans not working may lead to all kinds of blessings that we haven't even thought about. It may bring about much fruit in ways we don't expect, and even in ways we might not ever know until we get to heaven or possibly years later. And so when our prayers go unanswered, sometimes it's because we are praying selfishly and sinfully. Sometimes God is just simply trying to teach us contentment and patience, humility and trust. God is sanctifying us in some way. He is trying to conform us to his will, and it may be more general things, if you will. But sometimes God's answer to us that is a no, or at least a not yet, is because he is is actually leading to some greater blessing than we have in mind. We have the book of Romans, and what blessings there have been over the centuries. The words of Paul went much farther because it was in written form. We have them today. We don't have the actual words of Paul that he spoke to the Romans, but we do have these words. 
And so you see how God works. And so rest in him. Trust in him. Seek his will. Make your plans, yes, but obey him where he has you. Minister to those he brings in your path right now. And his plans will work themselves out, and our plans will conform to his. And there will be much fruit in one way or another. And so here are a few thoughts in this way. Now, notice how the verse ends. Verse 13 ends by saying, just as among the other Gentiles. Now, this then segues into the next verse, but notice what he's saying here. Um, Just as among the other Gentiles. Paul, of course, has been ministering to the Gentiles. The apostle of the Gentiles, he's in Corinth as he's writing, many Gentiles there, the three missionary journeys, two and a half years or whatever in Ephesus. And so he's anticipating the same kind of ministry that he's had in these other places in Rome. Okay? But as we know, when he comes to Rome, he's in prison. He's under house arrest for those two years. Um, but he does minister to them among the other Gentiles here, as he says, Um, And we know also that after he was released from prison, um, that he kept coming back to Rome. We know for sure one more time, because that's where he was killed, uh, but possibly in other other times as well. So assuming he did go to Spain, we know he went to Crete. He returned to Ephesus and to Macedonia. We know he did some of these things after he was released, and then he came back to Rome, and he was murdered there roughly 10 years after he wrote the letter. But there was much fruit among the Gentiles, and uh, even when Paul was in Rome. Now, most of his fruit, again, was under house arrest, but he wrote letters. He wrote not the book of Romans then, but, of course, he wrote Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Philemon and then 2 Timothy. They all came when Paul was in Rome. So, again, you see how God is bringing about fruit Uh, in these other ways. All right, now, um, one last thought here in this way. Um, Many people have taken this statement at the end of this verse to say that most of the believers in Rome were Gentiles at this point, and that's likely uh, um, what Paul is intending, at least in part. Now, is it 55%? Is it 80%? We don't know how many, but most of them were Gentiles, and surely there were many Gentiles in Rome though we think maybe about 50,000 Jews were there. So Paul is saying, okay, I plan to come. Someday I'm going to come, and I'm going to have fruit among you. And then he transitions here now to verse 14, and note what he says. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. Now, there are many questions surrounding what Paul means here. Um, But the overall point is very straightforward. Um, The term here, Greek, is not the same as the term Gentile. These are actually two different terms in the Hebrew. Um, And so we're talking about actual Greeks here from Greece. And this sounds like it must have been some kind of saying, some kind of idiom, the Greeks and the barbarians and such. Barbarians are not what we would think of, right? Those who live out in the middle of nowhere and are cannibals or something to that effect. Barbarians, in their viewpoint, were all people who did not speak Greek. Everyone who was not a Greek was a barbarian. That was their understanding. Now, 
added to that was not just the language, but the culture. And so you have the Greek culture, you have the Greek ways. And anyone who did not have that culture, those ways, uh, they were primitive. And that was the understanding. Now, the challenge here for us, and one of the challenges is, Paul's writing to Rome where they spoke Latin. So why doesn't he say, you know, about the Latins and and the barbarians or something like that? Uh, The Romans. Most likely, um, without getting into all kinds of rabbit trails here, most likely Paul is intending to put the two together. That the Greeks and the Romans were of the same kind of, if you will, mindset. They both thought of themselves as superior to the rest. They both thought of themselves as civilized, educated, with all these wonderful rulers and so on and so forth. And so Paul likely is putting them together. And then when he says wise and unwise, he probably is intending here to refer to the wise as the philosophers, the rational thinkers, the the scholars, right? Think of the Areopagus uh, there in, in Athens and so on. And then the unwise would be everybody else. It doesn't mean that they're not intelligent necessarily, but they're not a, a high scholar or something to that effect. Well, again, there are many questions here, but the overall point is simply this. Paul is saying, I'm indebted to all Gentiles. It doesn't matter if they're really smart or not. It doesn't matter if they speak Greek or not. It doesn't matter. I am indebted to every kind, if you will, of Gentile. Now, your translation may use the term debt. It may use the word bound or obligated. Ultimately, Paul is obligated to do this because he's a slave of Christ, right? Verse 1, he he is uh, doing this because God said so. He's been entrusted, if you will, with the money of the gospel, so to speak. And he must ensure that every Gentile, including the Romans, receive this gift. As I've said on other occasions, uh, Paul calls himself a steward in God's house. And so he is stewarding. He is taking care of the financial aspect of things, so to speak. He's taking care of these things in debt to everyone. And so Paul is obligated to preach the gospel to all nations, all classes, all cultures, all peoples, Greek or barbarian, Roman, wise, unwise, old, young, male, female, you name it. And you know, that's our duty too, isn't it? As I've said a few different times now in this opening section, Paul's an apostle, and we are not. There are 13 or 14 apostles, depending on whether you include James, the the brother of Jesus. That's it. We're not apostles, not in this official sense. And yet, in a smaller sense, we all are apostles. We are given the same responsibilities, not to the same degree. We're not going to write a book of Romans, but we can teach other people about Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. I guess I was out in the rain a bit too much yesterday. <coughs> hey, uh, Matthew, can you give me another one, please? 
it gave us a, <coughs> a moment to reflect on what I was saying, right? All right. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you know, Greek philosophers ignored the barbarians. They unintelligent were not good enough for them. Those who are not philosophers. But Paul is going to everyone. It doesn't matter. And we too then should proclaim the truths of scriptures to everyone. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is, their status, their popularity, their wealth, where they live. It doesn't matter. The differences that we keep hearing about in our culture, the so-called racism that's everywhere, it doesn't matter. Everyone needs to hear the truth. And God has placed us in various places to take the gospel to these people. And so whether we are um, at work and everybody's the same color, or if we're in a social group where we all have the same amount of money in life, more or less, okay? <clears throat> or if we're in another group where there's this difference, there's the wealthy, and then there's the average person. There's the really popular, or there's the, the nobody, as it were. Okay? Let's minister to them all. You know, we can fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know, <clears throat> if I befriend that person, they're going to make life better for me somehow. You know, if we witness to these group of people, you know, they got lots of money and they become members of the church. Wow, man, our, our, our ties will go up. So we're going to focus on them and not these other people. They can't put too much money in the offering plate. It doesn't matter what our differences are. Proclaim the truth. And so Paul is taking this idea and applying it wherever he is going. Let's follow in his footsteps as, if you will, many apostles. All right. Verse 15. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. All right. He goes from the broad thought in verse 14 now to the very specific thought here in verse 15. And he's again expressing how much he desires to come there. And he says, I am eager to preach the gospel there as he has elsewhere. Because he is Christ's slave and called to be an apostle, because Christ has separated Paul to do this as the apostle of the Gentiles, Paul is eager to do it. He's wanting to serve God in this way. Now, of course, the door isn't open yet, at least in person, but he is serving now by writing and sending this letter. All right, let me read a little bit here from John Stott. It's a little bit longer passage here, but he's got two thoughts, I think, that are helpful for us. He says this. The apostle now makes three strong personal statements about his eagerness to preach the gospel in Rome. In verse 14, he says he is bound. He is under obligation. In verse 15, he says he is eager. And then we anticipate a little bit here. In verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed. The reasons these affirmations are so striking is that they are in direct antithesis to the attitude of many in the contemporary church. And he wrote this about 30 years ago. People nowadays tend to regard evangelism as an optional extra 
and consider, if they engage in it, that they are conferring a favor on God. Paul spoke of it as an obligation. The modern mood is one of reluctance. Paul's is one of eagerness and enthusiasm. Many of us today would have to confess, if we're honest, that we are ashamed of the gospel. Paul declared that he was not. Now, we looked at the book of Acts, and now we hear these same ideas at the beginning of Romans. What are you waiting for? Let's follow in the footsteps of Paul. Don't be reluctant. Don't buy the argument that you can't say these things on public property. Did you hear about the ruling in Chicago? Nathaniel actually went with that group. They were forbidden from preaching in a public place, and they took them to court, and they won. Okay. We can preach the gospel anywhere. We're not hindered by law, really. We have the First Amendment, <clears throat> at least in theory, we still do. <laughs> okay. But don't be reluctant. Be eager to do these things. I'm preaching to myself as much as any of the rest of us here. All right, now, the the next thought he brings is this. Paul adjusts as many reasons to feel reluctant or embarrassed as we do. Paul was a symbol, or excuse me, Rome was a symbol of imperial pride and power. People spoke of it with awe. Everybody hoped to visit Rome at least once in their lifetime to look and stare and wonder, right? Think of the Colosseum and aqueducts and all the arches and all these sort of things, right? But who was this fellow Paul who wanted to visit the capital city, not as a tourist, but as an evangelist, and who believed he had something to say which Rome needed to listen to? What folly and presumption was this? According to tradition, Paul was an ugly little guy with beetle brows, bandy legs, a bald head, a hooked nose, bad eyesight, and no great rhetorical gifts. So what could he hope to accomplish against the proud might of imperial Rome? Would he not be wiser to stay away? Or if he must visit Rome, would it not be prudent for him to keep his big mouth shut, lest to be laughed out of court and hustled out of town? Obviously, Paul did not think so. On the contrary, I am under obligation. I am eager. I am not ashamed, he says. You know... It doesn't matter what we are like. Some of us have bald heads. Some of us have one eyebrow. (laughs) All of us are weird in some way or another. But that doesn't matter. God has chosen us to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Begin in your homes, but don't stop there. Let's preach to others. Let's be eager. You can preach in a formal sense like I am doing. You can proclaim the truth in much more informal settings. But we are all called to do this. All right, now, one last thought here this morning. Notice how uh, in verse 7 it says, to all who are in Rome. And now here at the end of verse 15 it says, to you who are in Rome also. And then we read there in chapter 15, verses 22 and following, and to the end of the book. Well, you know, 
there, some of the manuscripts that have been found for Romans do not include in Rome, in these two places in chapter 1, and do not include the end of the letter. And that's because, quite intentionally, not only did this letter get read among the various churches in Rome, but the early believers saw right away that this was something that everybody should read. And so some of the copies that were made left out the specific things about the Romans. And it wasn't much, just right in Rome, and then the very end, okay, where he says about going to Rome and the greetings to Romans and so on. And then they sent the letter everywhere, up into Europe, to North Africa. Right? Remember Augustine reading it and such? Okay. Let me end with what I was saying before. God's plans are far bigger than ours. If Paul would have gone in person, would have his words have gone as far? Probably not. Now, God obviously can do anything he wants. And there are other things in the scriptures besides the book of Romans. But because God told Paul, no, we have this letter. And it's so beneficial to us. And so let us then... Um, Okay. rest in God's providence, and learn what Paul is teaching us here. So uh, just to end with that thought here briefly. And so Lord willing, next time we will look at the, the main point that Paul's trying to make here in the letter, verses 16 and 17. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for what you teach us. We are thankful that in your providence... Paul did write this letter, and then we can learn so much from it. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us a, a submissive heart, a heart that trusts in you, that, that um, um, is convinced that you do know what is best, and that you will always work things out for our good and for your glory. Um, may we not try to... Um, as it were, cling on to our plans, but to rest in you. Um, Lord, we are um, also desirous that you, by your Spirit, would work in us to instill in us this attitude that Paul had, that you would work in each of us in all of our strangeness and unusualness that every one of us has, like Paul, and that you would give us this zeal, this eagerness, this uh, lack of shame, that, that we would fulfill this obligation that you have placed on all of us to go and make disciples of all nations. Whether we go around the world or across the street, we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would enable us, that you would keep us from our reluctance, from our hesitations, that you would give us this boldness to tell others about you. For you alone are worthy of it, and you, of course, through Christ, this is our only hope for salvation. So give us this strength. Give us uh, the ability to, to obey you here in this way. And so we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>